Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. So I've, I've shared stages with, uh, let's use the analogy of, say, Richard Branson. I've shared stage with him numbers of times. Now, great guy. He's achieved extraordinary things. He's done wonderful things for humanity. He gives back a tremendous amount. And it's nothing to do with Richard. I could replace Richard's name with somebody else. Is that sometimes people sit in the audience go, yeah, but, yeah, but he's, I mean, he's Richard Branson. I mean, he's got an island and he's got like 50 companies or 80 companies or 85,000 staff or whatever his stats are. And at some level, they kind of use that as a way to discount and maybe not to take control of their own destinies. And, and, and therefore, I decided that there's great value in those conferences, but this is a conference or not a conference, a, a concept. But the most important thing was to illustrate that every man and woman has an extraordinary story and therefore an extraordinary ability to move other people around them. And it was illustrated and proved by this concept, which most people said to me, by the way, that'll never work. People won't come. And those speakers will let you down because they're not, they're not prepared. And it was the absolute opposite of that. Um, and the only reason I'm sharing that is to illustrate that every man and woman listening to this call who puts themselves down is, oh, I'm not a speaker. I'm not a teacher. I'm not, who am I to influence anybody? Like I'm a carpenter, a taxi driver. I own a business, but I'm not, I can't impact people. How wrong you are and how that story has not been serving you. It doesn't mean you have to become a speaker, but you can, you can impact somebody right next to you that can go on and do other things. And in some part and parcel play a tiny part in inspiring change in that person and therefore other people to come. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. 
Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Philip, welcome to The Unmistakable Creative. Thanks for having me. It's great yeah, to be here. It is my pleasure to have you here. Uh, I, I came across you by way of uh, my friend Matt Monroe, who was the photographer at Mastermind Talks. And he told me that you gave a speech that pretty much was an impossible act to follow. Uh, that most people who had to speak after you thought, well, that sucks because you just kind of took the air out of the room in a beautiful way. Uh, so on that note, can you tell us a, a bit about yourself, your journey, uh, your story, your background, and how that has led you to everything that you're up to in the world today? Wow. Well, let's start with an easy one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm Irish, um, uh, and that that actually is not just uh, a, a kind of an obvious part of my my past, but a very critical part of my past. I come from a, um, a definitely a very spectacular tiny country that uh, has really influenced a lot of who I am as a person, more so than I think I can even fathom right now. Um, so I grew up in a, you know, I wouldn't say we were wealthy and we weren't very poor, um, but I grew up in a, in a family that uh, my dad worked very, very hard, worked for somebody all his life. Uh, he, you know, he and my mom had three boys. Um, the three boys were were very competitive. I was the, the baby of the family and uh Ultimately, the three of us went into entrepreneurship in three different three different kind of areas, if you like. Uh, which was, uh, I, I still kind of haven't really figured out why or how that happened. Um, 
and basically growing up in Ireland, growing up in Dublin, I went to a you know private school, which quite frankly, my parents probably couldn't afford, but they did it anyway. And it was certainly uh, exposed me to some beautiful people from all over the world. And um, this, you know, kind of dispel this whole notion that wealthy people are, are, are assholes or wealthy people are, are not never very nice, etc. Um, you know, coming from a, you know, a modest background myself, I met some phenomenal people from wealthy backgrounds, etc. And it gave me a great ability to, to have diverse conversations, etc. And I think, you know, again, I've, you probably, I, I didn't speak about this for years when I started speaking about it. Now I feel I harp on about it a bit too much, but dyslexia was a big part of my life. And therefore it made it very uncomfortable in school for me in many ways, because they didn't understand what was, what was essentially wrong in terms of my, my inability to kind of absorb and, and, uh, and read like everybody else. So that had a big influence on me because it shut me down in a very creative sense. Uh, I really kind of left school many, many years later having an issue with the education system and having a, an issue with myself on a very fundamental level in terms of a lack of belief and a lack of value and feeling that I wasn't good enough and, um, and really pretty much failed at pretty much everything in my life up to that point. And that is, that had, and, and to some extent still haunts me. Um, I think I'd be lying to say that I fully have reconciled that. Uh, I don't think I ever will. Um, so that had an influence because I felt that that was a, a very big inhibitor, which I use partly, um, as, as a way of motivating myself. But I, I think also I, I allowed it to victimize myself for many, many years. And then I meandered after that into various different businesses. I spent five years in the vitamin business, five years in the wine business, and five years in the coffee industry uh, alongside my brother building a brand over there in Ireland. And then finally, I just, I, just, I just had enough. I just realized that I was making good money. I was building a real estate portfolio. And I didn't do this because I had the money. I did this because the pain of not doing what I was here to do on, the, on this earth became so insurmountable. And I didn't even know what it was. And I just knew I had some sort of, I don't know, as corny as it sounds, some sort of calling, some sort of destiny that lay outside of the country that I love um, and doing the things that I was just doing because, um, you know, they felt right at the time. And they, I did enjoy the coffee and the wine industry for sure. And then I left, uh, I left Ireland, I came to Canada to reinvent myself. And I now spend my time in primarily in North America, all over the United States and Canada, and now all over the world, uh, running retreats and speaking and uh, working with a lot of um, men and women who are looking for transition in their lives are looking to, um, you know, you know, make sure that I get two types of clients, uh, people who come to me who are looking for transition are people who are kind of are coming to me because they have the wisdom to basically check in to make sure they are on the right path as opposed to waiting till they fall off the edge. Um, so the chiropractor gets the person typically who has a bad back as opposed to the person who wants to uh, prevent that happening. So they're the two types of people that come and work with me. And right now I have the most eclectic mix of clients from all over the planet, from Olympic athletes to billionaires, to people who have no money and want to make money, to couples. Um, I work with young people. Uh, I don't believe in niches um, per se, and um, I get the privilege to serve people every single day. And I have to say, I would rather die than give up what I do right now, as, uh, for, you know, in terms of what I do every day on a professional and a personal level. Hmm. Wow. Uh, you know, I want to start uh, at the beginning of this. And one of the things I want to ask you about is about growing up Irish. You know, I know from having had my friend Eski Britton here, who is also Irish, that, you know, part of being Irish is having this very sort of rich cultural heritage that stays a part of what you, you know, wherever you go in the world. And I'm interested in how that sense of heritage and culture has influenced uh, the way that you do the work that you do and, and sort of the direction that your life has taken. 
Yeah. I mean, I've never been asked that question and it's, it, you know, I've, I've been sitting with that myself even. I just, it, it just, you, <laughs> I think there's a lot of Irish people that would probably agree with this, that they walk around in Ireland or anywhere else in the world for that matter, or maybe they're not fully in touch with what Ireland has actually given them. I feel that it has filled me spiritually. I mean, filled me to the top. And I'm not talking about religion with respect. I'm not talking about religion at all here. I'm not talking about Catholicism, which is the primary religion in Ireland. Ireland, if you allow it to, I suppose it's like anything, you know, one of the challenges I often find with people in couples is that it's not that their partner's not uh, loving them the way they want to be loved. It's like, actually, can you allow yourself to be loved? I don't want to get too heavy and deep right now, but I mean, can you allow yourself to be loved? Forget about whether you're being loved in the way you want to be. So I think if you're open to it, Ireland and anywhere, from the, you know, many other places can do this, but I think Ireland has something that can enrich you at your core and it can fill you up if you allow it to. And I think also if you take the time and the space to recognize how it's filled you up, it it's like, I wouldn't describe it as Red Bull and I wouldn't describe <laughs> it as caffeine because it just feels, that feels frenetic and, and, and almost like, you know, you know, crazy. To me, it just feels, when I connect with Ireland on an emotional level, besides oh. the fact that I want to break down and cry, um, it just feels like it's given me something magical and I just can't put the words on it. And I do, um, I bring a group to Ireland every year as part of my work. And I can't tell you how many of them have said, oh my God, I've never been here, but I feel like I've been here before. I feel this is home or I feel so connected here. It has something that very other few places in the world actually has. And I'm not talking about just Guinness. Mm. <laughs> Do you think that that sense of connection is universal to all heritages and all cultures? Like we could find it in whatever our culture happens to be? No. No, I don't. I really don't. Um, No, I, well, I think there's two parts to this. I think your I think your heritage and your culture can fill you up if you allow it to. Mm. And secondly, is if you take the time and the energy and the space to actually get to know who you are and therefore what has filled you up, um, I think you can tap into something. So it's a bit of a yes and no. Actually, I retract the complete no. <laughs> um, I, I'm sorry to do that, but uh, no, I, I think I think yeah, and I think differently. I think differently. I think some cultures are built around you know different things. Ireland is built around um, you know music storytelling. Uh -huh. um groundedness you know you know you know there's a there's a there's a there's an earthiness in ireland that i'm not suggesting is only mutually exclusive to ireland of course it's not but i think what ireland gives is very unique what india gives is very unique what you know australia gets, gives is very very unique in its own right but i think there's two th there's one thing one is allowing it to fill you up and two is allowing yourself the space to recognize what you've been filled up with if that makes any sense most of us are so busy moving and running through life running away from the very person that faces us in the mirror every day, which is ourselves. And if we took the time to figure out who we were, what we wanted to do or what we need to express who we are in this world would naturally evolve and show up. Everybody in the world knows what they want. Most people in the world use a lack of clarity as an excuse not to move forward. Hmm. Okay. I want to talk about that in more depth, but I want to ask you one other question uh, about this. Why do you think it isn't prevalent in other cultures? Um, and can you just expand the question a little bit? Yeah. Uh, I mean, you've talked about this sense uh, of connecting with what's there and <clears throat> allowing yourself to be, be impacted by it. 
but you know, you've mentioned specific cultures that it's isolated to, and I'm curious why you think that that isn't prevalent in certain cultures. Like, I think you know, for for the most part, even though I, I'm of Indian descent, I would say I've grown up American, and a lot of what you talk about, I don't think is necessarily prevalent in the American culture. Yeah, yeah, you know, I I, I agree with that, and and I don't know if I have the answer for that, quite frankly. I mean, all I can tell you is I've worked with a lot of people in North America who don't feel they have the type of connectiveness and the, and the heritage that that I've been blessed to have, and and they and they separate it between Europe and North America. They think in Europe everybody has this sense of culture, and yet. I would not be surprised if you went to Europe and interviewed a thousand people and many of them feel to some extent perhaps that they've been brought up around culture, mm-hmm. but they haven't necessarily, they're not part of that culture. They don't have, they haven't absorbed it into their, into their own skin. I mean, one, one of my frustrations in Canada, I mean, I live in Canada most of the year in Vancouver, which is a beautiful city aesthetically and everything else is, you know, Canadians don't feel a sense of identity um, and, and sometimes they're critical of our American friends who have a, a flag, an American flag, uh, you know, in their in their in their yard, flying at full mast, you know, three hundred and sixty five days of the year. I mean, I don't think one is better than the other. I think the the American flag is wonderful. The patriotism that I see in the United States is is spectacular. I think part of the Canadian psyche is that somewhat they're a little bit envious of that because, you know, Canada, what was it, a hundred years old or whatever? I mean, it's it's so young this country. Mm-hmm. But my my argument to Canada or to Canadians is that you know, well, you know, when are you going to draw a line in the sand? Is it two hundred years old? Is it a thousand years old? Because to me, it's not about it's not about dates. It's not about age. It's not about the 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 length of time a culture has existed. It's about what it represents at the core. And Canadians don't feel they have a sense of ownership. Now, many Canadians might disagree with me, but I have seen it here. I've seen it that the only time this country really comes together, like really just gels, is around the Olympics. Typically when they're playing against the United States and when they beat them on the, in, in, in hockey, and then suddenly the country comes together and has a commonality, has a, a space where it can kind of, you know, it's always given permission to come together, where I don't believe that needs to happen for, for people to feel at home in a country, um, if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah, it absolutely does. Well, let me ask you this. One of the things you had mentioned was that there's this notion that people think that they need clarity to figure out what they want. And I want to do a deeper dive into this process of uncovering what we want, because I've looked at this through so many different lenses after 500 interviews, and I'm just really interested in how you walk people through that. And why is it you think that we can reach a certain point in our adult life. I mean, hell, as as far as into our 50s without really ever experiencing any clarity as to what we want. Yeah, I mean, I would, I would, I would go as far as to say you're, you know, you're 50 years old, you, you don't know what you want. My first question is, well, you know, who are you? Um, <laughs> you know, that that's my first and foremost question is, is who are you? So someone might come to me and say, listen, I've got a business, I'm turning over a million dollars, and I want you to get me to the next level. I love this next level thing. And that's a sarcastic tone there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the next level is generally $2 million or 100 properties or five businesses They tend to be beautiful round numbers. Um, and therefore have no substance. And um, they'll say, you know, how do, you know, help me get to the next level. And I said, well, what's the next level? And they might have a turnover figure or whatever. And I go, leave that aside for a second. Why are you in this business? And then they'll go, well, um, um, well, you know, because I, yeah, I really enjoy it. And I go, well, you don't sound like you do. <laughs> so it's, to me, it's about why you do what you do. And you do what you do because of the, the, the level and the depth in which you know yourself. Mm-hmm. And sometimes people get to know themselves, but they choose not to be authentic with that knowing, with that awareness. So to me, it's about alignment. I think happiness is an illusion. I think we we, we don't need to chase happiness. I think we need to let it go. I, I work on, on three basic principles or three basic pillars of a human being's life. Um, the work that we do, 
the relationship to ourselves and the relationship to other people in this world. Simple as that. And I think what we need to do is we need to focus on deriving as much meaning in those three pillars, those three elements of a human being's life, the byproduct of that is happiness. So often people will be in a, you know, a, you know, a beautiful relationship in an intimate capacity. They may be okay in their own, their own skin because we underestimate that relationship significantly, which is to me the most important relationship, the one with ourselves. And we, we spend eight hours a day doing something we can't stand or something that we justify makes sense, but really it's not aligning and it's not really nurturing us at the core. Mm-hmm. What ends up happening is two things. Number one is we're just not as fulfilled as we could be. But number two is we then layer greater expectations into the relationship with other people because our expectations go up because we need to get that fulfillment from somewhere. And when we're not getting it nurtured in, a, in, a, in our work, we layer that expectation um, of, of being extra fulfilled, for want of a better term, from the relationships in our lives. So we layer an expectation that those people can never live up to and therefore they inevitably let, let us down. So that's why we have dysfunctionalities and breakdown in marriages and relationships and so on and so forth. But if we had the courage, the courage to take a step back and say, hey, hang on a second, my wife cannot make me happy. My husband cannot make me happy. My kids cannot make me happy. I've got to look at the other elements of my life and make sure that I am and, and the steward of those areas. And it's up to me to derive as much income. Sorry, I was going to say income. <laughs> much, much, where the hell did that come from? I will say one thing. I had some dental treatment in the last couple of days, so I'm not as clear and as <laughs> obviously as I normally would be. But it's up to me not just to make income in those areas, but to make sure that I'm deriving meaning from those areas. And uh-huh. when I do that, I come, I become just a, I just, I evolve as just a better grounded person who's not chasing things, who doesn't need complexity, who doesn't need validation, who doesn't need money to, 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 to make themselves feel better. But, but they are just bonuses and they're just add-ons, if that makes any sense. Yeah, it does. Uh, this raises lots of questions, uh, as, as you can imagine, because this is very, very rich and deep territory. Uh, one of the things you'd mentioned was that you know we're often living out of alignment. And I am wondering... How, why and how it is that people end up uh, staying in a place where they're out of alignment and knowing that they're out of alignment. Value. Value, 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 or a lack of value. Why, why am I, am I, am I worth it? Um, do I deserve to be happy? Do I deserve to be loved? Do I deserve to, you know, you got the intellectual stuff, you know, for example, like someone realizes that they want to be a, you know, a basketball player or a coach or whatever the hell it is. I mean, they, they go into that intellectual thing. Do I have the skill set? Do I have this? Do I, do I have that? Well, what I believe at the core is the biggest thing holding people back from aligning with, you know, what they're here to do or what they want to do with the rest of their lives is that they don't feel they're good enough. They don't have an awful lot of value. And, and this is not mutually exclusive to people who are down and out or who are struggling. Mm. This is this is this this is this relates to every single human being I've ever worked with, because what we mix up is, and I'm talking to people who have massive businesses as well as people who have no businesses. I mean, everybody in between. I, live, I went to London with the Olympic team three, four, whatever the hell it was, four years ago, three years ago, and I can tell you, value is a huge challenge in society today. And what people mix up is, let's just say I'm an athlete and I'm great at running or soccer or whatever. We mix up our confidence within the task that we're very good at, our specialized task or the business that we run. We mix confidence up with self-esteem. They're two totally different things. You can be very confident in what you do, but it doesn't mean you like who you are. 
doesn't mean you like who you are and how that plays out in business, in money, in relationships, in connection is extraordinary. So often you'll have people who are very busy. They're never home. They use the business as an excuse not to be home, but who's created the business? They have. They don't want to be home because at some level, they don't really believe that their family deserve them as a father or as a mother or as a, you know, a, a, a person to be around. And, and I know this is really heavy duty territory for a lot of people perhaps are listening, but if you can just, you know, maybe let go of the judgment uh, and maybe the charge that perhaps this is like, you know, it's poking you somewhere and you really open up that this is very serious territory. This is very real. And, and there was a time where I'd shy away from speaking about some of these. I mean, again, this, you know, the interview is encouraging it and this is where it's going. And I trust it, but this is real. This is so real. Um, you know, out there, people say, you know, in my rooms, they say, you know, what happens when we go back to the real world? You know, outside of the retreats or whatever I run, I go, hang on a second, buddy. This is the real world. What I find is out there is Hollywood. People walking around wearing masks, trying to pretend to be something they're not, pretending they're great, their days are great on Facebook, and they're <laughs> not necessarily facing reality. And, you know, there's not that many places in society where we can you know, share vulnerabilities and philosophies in addition to the weather and how, you know, the NFL is playing out and how the hockey is playing out and everything else. You know, where in life is, I believe, one of the most magically gifted parenting styles, leadership styles, human interactive styles, simply a place to be vulnerable. Where, where in society is that encouraged as opposed to directly or indirectly implied that it's a weakness? And in that space, if we can be vulnerable, we show the fact that we're human and we allow other people to be human alongside us because we're all weak. We've all got you know weaknesses and gaps because we're human. That's just that's part and parcel of the process. So how do you resolve this conflict of confidence not equaling self-esteem? You know, how, how do you get rid of that? Or do you even? I think that's one of the, the challenges in society today. If you think about, say, fear or something, we're, we're, we're a lot more kind of in touch with or things that have been written about. You know, we, we all want to get rid of and eradicate fear. Sure. Um, and, you know, I think a lot of people would probably agree. So, you know, show me how to get rid of fear. And, and I think there, therein lies one of the biggest problems is that if I had a dollar bill for everybody that sat in front of me and said, oh, no, no, I know where you're going, Philip, with this, but I've dealt with that. I've dealt with that. Oh, no, 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 I've known I've dealt with that piece. Um, I would have stacks and stacks and stacks of dollars right around me. I wouldn't be able to even get to my laptop because it would be so full of dollars right around. <laughs> um, I don't think we ever deal with and, uh, you know, put, put fear to bed, for example. It's always going to be a part of us. But the problem is that we won't accept that. We won't accept that as part of the, the process. So what we do is we, we put on our sneakers, we put on our Lululemon pants, and we put on our little, you know, our kind of you know, our Under Armour tops and we sprint and we run and we run from fear. And then eventually we have to stop and take a breath or we have to stop and take water or sleep or, or pee or whatever the hell we have to do. And you turn around, that little bastard's right behind you. And the bastard is fear because fear doesn't need water. It doesn't need caffeine. It doesn't need sleep. It doesn't need to do anything. It will always be with us. So do we want to spend the rest of our lives running from it or do we want to turn about and face it, sit down, get to know it, understand it, process it, like, delve into why the fear is there. The fear of bungee jumping today is an old fear from yesterday. The fear of taking a new job or giving up your job today is a fear from 20 years ago. Get to understand why you carry fear with you. What is fear about? What is, and when you start to get to know it, you don't feel you have to run, run away from it. You can walk this world with it. And it doesn't, it loosens its grip on you. So we're looking to get rid of things when I'm, in, I'm encouraging people to embrace things. And ironically, when you embrace it and accept it as a natural part of your being, 
it just doesn't control you anymore. Mm. It doesn't control who you are. It just, when I get on stage and I don't speak a lot and it's partly by design and partly because no one has a clue who I am and I'm fine <laughs> with that. <laughs> I mean, honestly, people have no idea who I am. And, you know, every time I go to a conference, I say, you've never heard of this guy before, but this is, this is whatever. And that's fine. I've, I've no, honestly, I have no issues. I'm actually, there's a part of me that loves that. Um, but when every time I get on stage, every time I'm about to go, I, I want to, I literally want to vomit. And it's, it's, it's because I choose not to do the same keynote twice. I choose constantly to reinvent myself on stage mm -hmm. in different ways because I never want to become complacent. But because I get to know, I've taken my time out to get to know the fear. When it comes up in advance of getting on stage, for example, I just go, oh, you're back. Hey, buddy, how's it going? You're back. Okay. And it's not some forced, you know, kind of, you know, language and NLP. It's just very, I just embrace and I go, you're back. I don't like you, but you're here. So, you know, let's, let's get on this stage together. And it just softens and a charge goes away. And it's allowed me to lean into aspects of my life that would have scared the hell out of me 20 years ago. And I would never would have done them. Wow. One of the things that really interests me uh, is this idea of de deriving meaning uh, from those three pillars of our lives. And I'm wondering how that can be applied to life. Yeah, I mean, you know, just on a very basic fundamental level, I think, you know, I mean, I talked about vulnerability. So let's just take, sure. let's, break the, let, let's break the pillars down. So three pillars, self, you know, work and others. Um, let's just take people around us. So often what we'll say to ourselves is, oh, no, no, my kids, my relationship with my kids, oh, it's, it's fantastic. It's wonderful. And my, 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 my challenge to that, my question to that is great, but, but how do you know? And then people look at me as if, you know, I've either just insulted them or I've just taken drugs and they're going, you know, but Philip, I just explained that my relationships with my kids are great. So how would you even contemplate challenging that? Because, and, and I just, I'm just questioning it. I'm just, I'm here to challenge you, question you and support you. And what we find is that our benchmark, our, our, our definition of, of great and good is based on what we've experienced. So I'm in a relationship today, for example, and I go, God, it's great. It's great. And it's better than the last one. And the reason the last one isn't here is because I chose to get out of that one because it didn't work. And then I move into a new relationship and I think that's the best relationship ever, which it might be. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's not the best that's available to me. Nor do I believe in striving for perfection because perfection doesn't exist. So why would we, why would we strive for something that doesn't exist? We're always going to miss the mark. And we're always going to fail. So to me, it's about finding a place not to constantly do it, but to undermine ourselves, but to periodically sit back and go, what, what can I not see that can improve my relationship with my wife, with my girlfriend, with my husband, my dog, anybody and myself? What am I not looking at? What am I not seeing? What am I taking for granted? And in that space, you know, through those conversations, through those vulnerability, through the sharing your truth, I've, I've seen people, I cannot tell you, I literally got an email yesterday from a gentleman who said, I cannot believe, I cannot believe the relationship I have with my wife as a result of the work that you do. Now, let's be frank about this, okay? I think he's putting too much emphasis on me and too much emphasis on my work. Now, he'll completely disagree with that, but to forget about where it comes from. I always put it back on the client. I always put it back on the individual who's made the, made the work. He never could have fathomed his relationship could be so good, ever. Um, relationship with self, you know, in other words, self-respect, self-esteem, you know, confidence, you know, uh, you know, compassion, you know, when, when, how many people walk through this earth never experiencing compassion for themselves? To me, that's sounds judgmental, but it is a, there's a sadness around that because 
they they never get to really expose the depth of the relationship that they can have on a personal level because the greatest bully they'll face every day is the one that they get up and face in the mirror every single day. And we're so harsh on ourselves that we suppress ourselves. Like, honestly, if someone spoke to you the way you speak to yourself, you'd probably walk away from them. Mm-hmm. But we do that every single day. And how do you think that plays out in the context of all the things that we say we want on an intellectual level? Um, you know, and then the final piece is the work piece, is that, you know, do we respect ourselves enough and have enough kind of, you know, self-worth to actually start to, you know, pursue work that really has meaning mm-hmm. or bring work into our lives that has meaning to ourselves and therefore most likely will impact and have meaning in the world. Um, and I'll give you, I could give you a million examples, but I've had people, very, a lot of entrepreneurs sit in front of me and say, no, I don't know what I want to do. And they knew exactly what they wanted to do, but they put in the convenience of a lack of clarity as a distraction and as a way not to have to make a change. Hmm. Wow. Um, well, let's shift gears a little bit. One of the things that always interests me is looking at moments of significance uh, in the early parts of people's lives, uh, long before they've become who we know them for today. You know, early childhood, you know, mentors, people, experiences. And I'm curious, I mean, when you look back at your life, especially at that early part, are there moments of significance that have shaped who you are today? Yes, absolutely. And there's probably many more of those moments that I've even stopped to reckon, you know, recognize and reconcile within myself. But there have been moments that have been, I I, I believe that you build up to those moments. Mm -hmm. Um, And sometimes it's an absolute stranger that unlocks it or it's somebody on a podcast, for example, or a book or something. I think at some level you've been building up to the truth. You know the truth, but it's it's sometimes it needs to be unlocked by somebody. So I'll give you one of those, for example, and one that I've shared a couple of times before. But I remember speaking, um, I mean, again, you know, imagine being in school for like, you know, whatever, until I was 17, 18 years old, <clears throat> dyslexic, you know, feeling inadequate, not necessarily wanting to hear my own voice and feeling that no one else in the world wanted to hear it, to finding myself maybe four or five or six years later, actually probably longer, 10 years later, standing on a stage at my uh, my friend's wedding being his best man. I mean, I just, it was the last place in the world that I wanted to be, but the place, the only place in the world I feel, I felt I had to be, um, with respect to Jeff, if he's listening. Um, you know, I felt I had to do this because he asked me, and it's kind of like, you can't turn down a best man speech. And um, I remember at the end of it, getting a, a standing ovation. And I mean, you don't get standing ovations typically at weddings, <laughs> particularly as the best man. And in Ireland, you, you certainly don't get them. And, you know, I'm not saying I was good or bad or indifferent. I mean, obviously, whatever I did impacted people at some level. And I think it was when I kind of unplugged and just spoke from my heart. And there was literally a stage. It was a hotel where there was like a theater and there was a stage. And when they when, when people stood up, you, you know, people's reaction might think, oh, my God, obviously, I, I, I was honored. And I, I wanted the ground to swallow up, just to swallow me up. I just wanted to disappear. I was so embarrassed. I didn't know what to do. And I walked off the stage and literally was inundated by people just hugging me and whatever, but just an absolute stranger walked up, a guy with tears literally coming out of his eyes, rolling down his cheek, hugs me, puts his arms around me and says, if I ever get married, will you be my best man? <laughs> and I just, I turned around, I told him to, you know, I, t- I won't say what I said to him, but I, I told him to go and, 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 and shove it somewhere. And he looks at me, he goes, no, no, no. He says, I'm, I'm serious. And he wasn't being serious necessarily about the best man thing. He says, you've got something you, 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 this is, you have to do this. I don't know who that man is. Uh-huh. I never got his name and I've never met him since. But I think what he did 
was he spoke to some truth within me. And I was afraid that it was arrogance, like, oh my God, of course, yeah, I'm a natural speaker and all that. That's, a, you know, that's not where I was. Mm. And it still is not where I was. And I hope it's never where I go, ever. But he did speak to something that I was, I didn't want to see. And that was that at some level, I'm on this planet to bring a message to people, to share their truths, to get in touch with their truth, to align to the work they want to do so they can be more fulfilled and therefore be beacons of inspiration and change to other people in their own lives. And I'm just a catalyst. I'm just a messenger. I'm just a, a guy who's shown up. People call me a philosopher. People call me an asshole. People call me all <laughs> sorts of things. But I'm telling you, there's very few people in this world that are absolutely like bordering and obsessive about getting people to a place that they can't even imagine is possible for them. I am relentless in that. Relentless. And I'm also exceptionally good at it. But I'm only as good as the person that comes to me. If they can't lean into that conversation and meet me at least halfway, nothing's going to happen. So that was one of the most defining moments in my life as I look back and realize that, you know, that, that, that was a very significant moment. I still didn't embrace it fully. I still didn't own it 100%. Mm. Um, and there was another moment even actually building on from that with the very first day I ever announced or told anyone I was dyslexic. That's my big dark secret. And there might be people on this listen to this audio, uh, you know, you know, in the future or now and saying, oh shit, Jesus, dyslexia. I mean, that's the biggest problem you had. Well, yeah, quite frankly, it was, and it was my biggest problem. And there's one of the issues we have in this world is we don't think our shit is big enough because it doesn't match the person across the road. My story is the most important story in the world because it's mine. Mm. And we need to own our stories because we don't, we're screwed because it's the only one we've been given. And dyslexia was a huge issue for me. And it inhibited so much of my creativity. It squashed my voice. It, it killed any ele element of confidence that was there. And I had to rebuild all of that. And I'll never forget the day I went into a school to speak to young people, which I love doing, love. There's no greater, more demanding, more challenging, more gifted audience in the world than young men and women at the age of 13 to 14, 16, 17, or even younger for that matter, and, uh, and helping them work on their self-esteem. And I remember one young boy putting his hand up and he said, uh, he said, um, you know, what, why didn't you go to college? And I had my usual line, you know, my Facebook line saying, oh, college. Yeah, that wasn't for me. I mean, I don't believe in the education system. I want to be an entrepreneur and go out into the business world or whatever. And I looked at this beautiful little face and these honest little eyes. And I just went, oh my God, I just can't lie anymore. I can't do this. I need to take off another mask. And by the way, trust me, I had many and I probably still do. And I just looked at him and I said, uh, and it just shows how insecure I was. I announced to the classroom, I said, you know, laugh if you want to. But I said I was dyslexic, so going to college was not an option for me. And I got the most incredible gift, probably one of the most incredible gifts I've ever received to this day in my life. And that was unconditional acceptance. And no one laughed. And all they did was opened up to me. And it turned out to be one of the most magical workshops I ever did in my life. Not because of me, but because of the, the group and where we went with that conversation was extraordinary. But more importantly, on a very selfish level, they gave me permission to let my skeleton out of the closet. We all have them. Mm. And free myself of that thing. And I remember that leading up to, many years later, me saying, I cannot read, but I can write. And I remember that being a very significant other moment. So there's three moments in my life where they may not feel like, you know, climbing Mount Everest to some but yeah. they certainly felt like climbing Mount Everest and then jumping onto the moon for me. 
<laughs> Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. I know why Matt said you are amazing. I can tell now. Uh, so let me ask you this. Uh, you know, I had Donald Miller here very recently, uh, the guy who wrote Blue Light Jazz and A Million Miles in a Thousand Years. And we were talking uh, about moments of significance and, and you know, this sort of thing of, of being special 
um, and being told in that way. And it's, it's weird that we're having this exact conversation because I was listening to the audiobook of Jeff Colvin's Talent is Overrated, and he talks about something called the multiplier effect, where somebody tells you something, and because of that, you become dedicated to a craft. Uh, and, and, you know, I realize it happened in my own life with uh, a music teacher years ago. But the question I have is, does everybody have this thing whatever this this sort of burning thing is inside that makes them special in some way. No, it's only me and you. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I, I, I have to believe so. Yeah. I, I have to. Um, you know, when someone said to me, you know, many people said to me, my parents and used to tell me years ago, everyone, everyone's good at the core. Yeah. I was thinking, what a load of crap. I said, that's just not the case. I definitely have changed in that regard. I believe that there's goodness at the core of everybody. I do believe that. Um, and I'm almost surprised that I find myself saying that in more recent times uh, because I was so adamant the, the opposite way. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what, how I would define that um, is I would define that as, as simply as your gift. Um, and I think that talent is overrated. I haven't read the book and I, I don't mean to be disrespectful to, to the author, but I, I never even heard of the book. I'm not a book reader for obvious reasons based on what I just shared earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, but talent is completely overrated. So, for example, my wife's an accountant. Um, she's still technically an accountant, and she's probably the worst accountant in the world. Um, <laughs> and and let, me, let, me, let me follow up very quickly before people judge what I just said, is because she should never have been an accountant. It wasn't her, I'm going to call it her destiny, but it wasn't part of who she was. It was what she did in mm. order to, um, now, it, obviously, it was a stepping stone, et cetera, et cetera, but it's, it, it, it wasn't who she was. So she was in school. A guidance counselor took her aside said, you're good with numbers. Why didn't you become an accountant? She didn't know what else to do. Um, and, and therefore she just went down this whole path of being an accountant. Mm. And, but that's not her gift. That's her talent. So talent is, I believe, completely overrated and the education system. And in many respects, the, the economies that are set up in the world today, the, the, you know, the social platforms in which we operate as human beings are, are set up to, to allow you to, to improve your, your talent. So for example, they kept sending me back into classes that I just couldn't, I couldn't get my head around as opposed to say, hang on a second, he's crap at this and he's crap at that. I pretty much crap at every kind of subject in school. But maybe there is something that this man, this young boy is exceptional at or very good at or has the potential at. What would it be like to ask him? Say, listen, okay, you're failing miserably at all these things from a, from a score point of view. So you're going to fail them anyway. So what, what do you want to do? Spend the next four years doing subjects you can't and don't want to do? Or do you want to do two or three subjects that you are drawn to and really specialize in them? We tend to spend more time on the talent and cultivating the talent than we do with the con- even the conversation about what the gift is. No one, I mean, I'm, I, and again, maybe I didn't look up high enough, but when I walk the classrooms of my school and the classrooms and the corridors of life, no one ever took me aside, took me by the hand and said, come on in here, son, and say, let's explore what your gift might be. Mm. And that's the conversation that I bring to the, and for example, I mean, I, and I don't want to talk about my work because often you think in a situation like this, I, to me, it's just a, it's such an honor to be asked. I don't care how many viewers you have. If it's just you and your grandmother <laughs> are the only people that listen to this. To me, it's such an honor to be asked to share any part of what I believe and who I am with the world. It's such an honor. And, and, and I don't want to abuse that by talking about what I do, but I want to share one thing to illustrate something really important. Okay. If I shared one thing that I'm extraordinarily proud of is a concept I built or created called One Last Talk. And One Last Talk is where I create a live event and I put 10 speakers on a stage. 
And 90% of those speakers have never spoken in their lives before, ever, in a, in a public environment. And I bring them away for two days to extract their story. Why am I telling you? I'm telling you this for a really important reason. Because those men and women that took that stage, and this is about them, not me, last, uh, this year in Toronto, or in Vancouver, last year in Toronto, absolutely floored the audience. And I did it because I believe, with respect to a lot of events out there, is a lot of big names, a lot of gurus, a lot of best-selling authors. Great. They bring great wisdom, content, and everything else. But I think sometimes the audience don't always relate. So I've, I've shared stages with, um, let's use the analogy of, say, Richard Branson. I've shared stage with him numbers of times. Now, great guy. He's achieved extraordinary things. He's done wonderful things for humanity. He gives back a tremendous amount. And it's nothing to do with Richard. I could replace Richard's name with somebody else is that sometimes people sit in the audience go, yeah, but, yeah, but he's, I mean, he's Richard Branson. I mean, he's got an island and he's got like 50 companies or 80 companies or 85,000 staff or whatever his stats are. And at some level, they kind of use that as a way to discount and maybe not to take control of their own destinies. And, and, and therefore, I decided that there's great value in those conferences, but this is a conference or not a conference, a, a concept but the most important thing was to illustrate that every man and woman has an extraordinary story and therefore an extraordinary ability to move other people around them. And it was illustrated and proved by this concept, which most people said to me, by the way, that'll never work. People won't come. And those speakers will let you down because they're not, they're not prepared. And it was the absolute opposite of that. Um, and the only reason I'm sharing that is to illustrate that Every man and woman listening to this call who puts themselves down as, oh, I'm not a speaker, I'm not a teacher, I'm not, who am I to influence anybody? Like I'm a carpenter, a taxi driver, I own a business, but I'm not, I can't impact people. How wrong you are and how that story has not been serving you. It doesn't mean you have to become a speaker, but you can, Im- you can impact somebody right next to you that can go on and do other things. And in some part and parcel play a tiny part in inspiring change in that person and therefore other people to come. Wow. Uh, you know, it makes me think of something that I, I just wrote down in a note card before we uh, hit record here. Uh, I'd come back from a walk and I was thinking about value and something I'd heard in a conversation with somebody else a few days ago about things that we can't measure and that there is this notion of an infinite value of the things that we can't measure. And hearing you say what you just did reminds me of that. Mm. Yeah, I mean, and and and, the, and there therein lies, you know, one of the challenges often people who want to make. I think at the core, we all want to give back and we all want to make an impact. The problem is that we're comparing our impact to, you know, people we see online or stories we hear, um, you know, and and we don't realize that, and therefore we use that as a reason not to make a bigger impact in our lives, and and because we 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 can't maybe we don't have the resources perhaps or the time or even the money to, to go to Africa and, and build an orphanage. So we mm-hmm. say, Oh, I can't do what I want to do. So I'll do nothing. And yet all we have to do is turn around and there's somebody next to us that just needs our help. And they could neither have your help in, in the most obscure, simple way. What they need to hear out of your mouth is I don't know. They might need to hear, I need help. They might need to see your humanity in order to step up to the plate. Um, you know, I just talked to a woman the other day and she goes, yeah, I'm having some challenges with my daughter and I'm trying to get her to this and trying to get her to that and trying to get the other thing. And I just said, why, why are you trying to get her to do all these things? Is this driven by what you want for her? Is this driven by, I want the best for her. And I said, yeah, but that's, it's, that's all about you. 
I said, what about just sitting down at your daughter and go, listen, I'm projecting all of my crap onto you because I didn't have these opportunities in my life. I said, I'm scared. I, you know, I don't want to lose you. I don't want this disconnect to happen in our lives. I'm, 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 I'm not perfect. I don't have all the answers, but I know I love you. Now, can you, can you help me understand how I can best support you so I can get out of your way or I can, I can support you along that journey? And she did, she teared up in front of me. She's going, oh my God, I never thought of that. I said, all that is, is just honesty and truth and, and vulnerability, in my opinion, is just your truth. But we don't, we, 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 we're too busy telling people what they should be doing. And, and, and as opposed to showing them what's available in this world, if that makes it. I, I said recently, you know, people said, you know, well, would you not move back to Ireland for your kids to be back, you know, so they'd be close to your, their grandparents and their parents and all that kind of stuff. And I said, no, I said, no, I said, I would die for my children, but I refuse to live my life for them. I would die for my children, but I refuse to live my life for them. Yes, I take them into consideration. I adore my children. But if I sacrifice and use my kids as, a, as an excuse not to live, uh, live out the life that I know I'm capable of living or allowing the life to unfold, that I, I don't even know what's coming yet. And I don't set goals anymore. I've let go of all goal setting because I don't believe it served me. Is, um, and then my, my kids, I trust that my kids will grow up in an environment where they believe you don't have to follow a system, that you can go after what you want and you can take risks even towards the things that you don't know the outcome on. In the absence of clarity, take action. In the absence of clarity, take action. I constantly live by that mantra. When I'm unclear, I move. When I'm unclear, I move. And sometimes the action is not to move. It's just to sit in the shit, sit with the uncertainty, sit with the unknown. Mm-hmm. Feel free to cut me off here because once I get going, it's, it's, I'm a little bit, I, I can get, I can get off and not, I, I can just get, I get very passionate and I, I kind of start to, so feel free at any point to cut me off. <laughs> I'm not going to cut you off. I'm just going to let you keep going. Uh, I, I want to ask you about something that you said earlier in our conversation that really uh, resonated with me and, and something that I'm deeply interested in hearing about. Uh, you said that you're absolutely obsessed with getting people to a place they can't imagine as possible from where they're at right now. And I am interested in how that happens. Yeah. How does that happen? My God, if I, if I could break it down to its four-step four process and put in, <laughs> put in a bottle, I could sell it. Um, there, there, there's, I mean, I just had a group of clients on this morning who are in a program with me and we basically just said, I chatted to one or two of them who are starting to really see, um, you know, res- like genuine results. And, and yet these were the very clients that were saying, I, I don't understand where we're going with this process, Philip. I, I don't understand where we're going. I, 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 like, can you give it to me? Can you show me on a spreadsheet type of thing? Where, where the steps are. And there is no steps. Um, I, I've, I've not refused to, but I just have never seen the value in sitting down and saying, okay, there's a, a process here. In some of my more condensed work, there is a, a very beginning, middle, and end. Mm-hmm. With the ongoing open-ended work, it's more of an evolution. And it's very intuitive. It's very customized towards the individual in terms of what's going on for them. So I, I can't bring you through um, the evolution of where it goes, but I think ultimately... I suppose if I was just to throw some things at you right now, it starts with the person that shows up. You know, if someone comes to me and says, yeah, yeah, I'm going to try your work and see how it goes. And, you know, I'm, I'm open to, you know, personal growth and development and furthering myself. I go, yeah, yeah, I'm probably not your guy. You know, I, I want people who are coming to me saying, no, I, I sense that something needs to happen. I sense that I need some change or I sense I need to at least question the path I'm on to validate that it's the right path. And I see value in doing so. So energetically, you've got someone come to the table who's a lot more open. But ultimately, 
nothing's going to change until they realize the pain they're already facing. So for me, the pain of not doing what I'm here to do, which is what I do now, and I will never, ever, ever move away from what I do now. But how I do it will always morph and change to keep me interested and to stretch me. But often people, and that old story, and I'm sure you've heard it many times, the nail and the, you know, the two old guys sitting on the porch and the dog comes up and rolls up and curls up and lies in front of the, you know, the guy and lies on an exposed nail. And his friend says, oh, your dog's on a nail. He goes, yeah, I know. He says, you're not going to move him. He says, no, he'll move. And I said, well, when? He says, well, when the pain is bad enough. When the pain is bad enough. And I, and I think that really sums up a, a lot of this, this kind of like real movement. Sometimes you need to point out to people the cost. Like, you know, of not moving, of not making a change, of not aligning themselves to work, that, that matters. Um, but also the cost in, in, in terms of their, their kids. So, for example, parents will often settle for mediocrity in work and work that's not even mediocre, like work they cannot stand. And they'll justify it by saying, well, it pays the bills. Or they'll stay and say things like, well, I, I, I don't know what else I do, so therefore I'm just going to stay doing what I'm doing. And then I say to them, I say, okay, let's fast forward 30 years and your little son, Johnny, let's just say Johnny came to you and he was in this same predicament. What would you say to him? Oh shit, live your dreams. Go after it. Give up that job. You know it's not serving you right now. Give it up. And I go, oh, because that, you, won't do that for your, you won't do that for yourself. Oh, well, it's different. And just because I'm not doing it doesn't mean my son won't. Are you going to tell your son in 30 years from now to do that? Do you think he's really going to listen to you because you didn't do it? Or would you take a risk on being happy? I mean, imagine taking a risk on happiness. Imagine taking a risk to actually bring meaning into our life. I mean, you know, we think risk is spending money on businesses. We think risk is buying an, an, an old, you know, field in the middle of nowhere that there may be gold under, on, under the ground if we dig down. We, take, we, take, we think risk is jumping off a bungee jump. We think risk is, is getting on the new spacecraft that Virgin are doing and flying to, the, flying to space. Imagine risk, taking a risk on being happy, taking a risk on actually bringing meaning into our life. Like that's, that to me is what risk is about. It's, about. it's not even risky because to me, most people have nothing to lose because they can't be any more miserable and disconnected than they already are. But we become comfortable in misery. There's comfort in this shit. Mm. We, it's, it's familiar. And I honestly believe right now in this world, I really believe this. And it's, it, it sounds like maybe negativity. And I think there's a lot of wonderfully connected people, a lot of very aligned people. But we, we often, our benchmarks are so dysfunctional. Who do you want to become? Well, I want to become X. And X, their only reference point for X is the media and how much money and how many businesses they have and their so-called perceived personal life. So, oh, you know X. Well, I met them at a conference once. So you want to be like them and you want to emulate them and you want to model them, but you, you don't really know how they live. Oh, no, but look at the lifestyle they have. Yeah, but that's the lifestyle that one you're seeing or two is they allow you to see. Have you gone and lived with them for a week to realize that perhaps, maybe, they can't sleep at night, that they don't have peace of mind, that maybe this perfect marriage on the outside is not as perfect on the inside? Be careful who you want to be. Be really careful who you want to be. And our insatiable need to consume all the information the planet can possibly conjure up is not driven by the need and the actual logic. It's, well, it actually is driven by logic. That's the problem. It's not, but it's not driven by the fact that the more information we consume, the better we are. I think it's going the opposite way. We're consuming information because it's driven primarily by scarcity. If I don't, if I don't read the latest book, I'm missing out. 
So what's happening is we're consuming information at the speed of light. Never before in the history of mankind has information been so available and so much of it available. And what happens is when we're constantly consuming information, now don't get me wrong, books are brilliant, podcasts are brilliant. I'm not just saying that because I'm on one. They are. They're phenomenal ways to expand your horizons, to open yourself up. But when someone's listening to 50 podcasts and reading four books a month, my question to them is this, is that are you giving it the space to move from information to knowledge? Knowledge and therefore possibly to wisdom. And the biggest and rarest jump of all, primarily then at the very end from wisdom to awareness. It's not possible to go through those steps with most of the information because we're too busy consuming the next novel, the next chunk of information that we haven't allowed what we've already consumed to penetrate us, to really move into our DNA and also decipher which parts of it are truly authentic to who I am as a person because we haven't actually taken the time to get to know who we are because we're too busy consuming information. Wow. I think you're going to fundamentally change the way I read books. <laughs> but, uh, I, I don't don't get. I mean, this is coming from a guy who's bloody written books, but I still believe it. Mm. Like, when was the last time you met somebody and and, and noticed it? I I don't want this to come across as judgmental. I, I I share these things because these are things I've lived through myself, or things I've walked through with people that that I serve and work with. But like, how many times do you meet somebody? Oh my god, I read this book. It's oh my god, it's amazing. It's changed my life. It's like, great. I'm so happy for you. Just just give me one one thing that you've actually done um, <laughs> as a result of that book, and there's this quietness. Yeah. And then they go, no, 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 but it, no, but it changed my, I, I get that and I hear it and I appreciate it because that frenziness uh-huh. that a lot of us live on that edge of frenziness, that busyness, that edge, I'd rather someone come to me and go, Philip, you, you really, you really do need to read this book. This book is just, it's, 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 it's just struck a chord. He'll be the, feel the energetic difference. Like the, my worst nightmare at a conference or at a, not a conference, but at, say an experience that I do, um, one of the small is somebody going, oh my God, I got a massive, massive breakthrough. Oh my God, my life. Oh, it's a, I, worst nightmare, worst particular person in the room hmm. because that's the person that's going to crash and burn on Monday morning. Yeah. Well, it's funny because I, I, uh, I was speaking with somebody yesterday. I was being interviewed and I said, you know, I wrote this blog post uh, on my blog about the three types of people who go to conferences, the ones who would get a result if they weren't at the conference, the ones who you could be the catalyst for, and the ones who will go home and look for the next conference to go to. And I realized that that wasn't isolated to conferences. I realized that it was isolated to people who listen to books, uh, who listen to podcasts, people who read books. Th- those three groups of people <clears throat> exist in any type of information consumption. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely, hundred percent. I spoke at a conference. It wasn't a conference; it was a leadership thing in the, for the U.S. military. And and um, I mean, an Irish guy living in Canada, I work with U.S. military. It's a kind of a, a kind of an ironic, um, you know, um, you know, kind of twist of fate, I suppose. But um, you know, they're all consumed by this big challenge of identity. And and uh, well, sorry, they didn't. They don't. You know, they don't. Uh, you know, kind of frame it as identity. I, I frame it as identity or lack of identity. And they, the, trend, the, 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 the challenge for transitioning military, moving from the military world into the civilian world and the challenges they face, which are, are significant and, 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 uh, and have got to such a, a drastic point that 22 people a day, military, are killing themselves or, or, and, and many, many, many thousands more 
daily, weekly, monthly, yearly living under bridges and depression, um, you know, consuming vast amount of alcohol, um, you know, all sorts of medication to, to, to numb the, the, the pain of, of, of not knowing what's next and, 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 and the lostness of, the, of it all. And I just kept pointing out, this is not a military issue. This is a human issue. The same problem with identity comes into when, when and I, <clears throat> I'm not a, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm not trying to be sexist intentionally, but, it, you know, if this comes across as sexist, so be it. But I primarily see this with parents, particularly with mothers, is that when the kids finally grow up and leave the house, they don't know who they are anymore. You know, businesses, you know, business leaders who have put so much of their identity into their businesses and what they do as opposed to who they are. And it's a huge challenge in, in society because um, the problem is that when you lose that, I mean, I come from a very, very small, beautiful country, as I shared, with a lot of depth. And one of the saddest things that I've ever witnessed in my life was the Celtic Tiger. The sadness of watching a country lose the run of itself, chasing um, all the opportunities it had uh, economically and allowing some of its social kind of fundamental core pillars to get diluted. Now, thankfully, that's coming back again and we're getting back to what's important. But when it's taken away, if your business is taken away and a lot of your identity is taken away with it, that's a really unhealthy place to be because you, you, you put too much of who you are into what you do as an individual. Wow. So I, I want to ask you uh, two final questions. Yeah. One is around dyslexia. And you know, you'd mentioned at the beginning that dyslexia really you know, challenged you in terms of your level of self-belief, uh, in terms of, of confidence and all of those things. And then the other was this notion of shifting from a victim to being motivated by the circumstances. So I'm interested in, in how you make that shift uh, when you're dealing with any circumstances in your life from victim to being motivated by them. Yeah, I, mean, I think you can be motivated in a very positive way in a very, and sometimes in a charged negative way. So for example, people who come from poverty say the drive was never to go back to poverty. Now, you know, a lot of people say that that's a wonderful motivator. I, I don't think so. I think there's a charge behind that that's not healthy. I'm never going to be that. It's like someone who says, well, you know what? I tell you one thing. I'm never going to be my father. I'm never going to be like my mother. Well, welcome to your mother. Welcome to your father. That's exactly who you are. So the charge is one is moving away from what you, you don't want. And then one is stopping at some point in your life and going, actually, you know what? Maybe I don't need to run from what I don't want anymore. Maybe, just maybe I can stop and actually start to consider what do I actually want from this world? Who do I want to be? And what do I want to do with the talents and the gifts that I've been given are the ones that I picked up along the way. So energetically, they're very, very, very different. Um, for me, in any challenge, ironically, and, and, and I've probably only ever said this once, somebody said to me one day, he said, you are very intuitive. You, you use intu intuitiveness in your work all the time. In fact, I've started to speak about intuition as this, this incredible, um, amazing, and also not just from a, a soft life skills point of view, but also from a very, 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 um, you know, brilliant tool for business, like incredible tool. I've, some of my clients have saved millions of dollars based on uh, intuition. They haven't been in touch with it, but drawing out their intuitive thought process and where they're at, they've made very, very healthy strategic decisions not to engage in certain areas or to engage in certain areas that have made a huge impact that didn't necessarily make sense, sorry, that may have made a lot of sense from a, from a structural, um, you know, even a tactical point of view, but they chose to ignore that sometimes and just lead by intuition. And so it's very, very tactical. But somebody, somebody asked me recently, he said, well, how, how come you're so intuitive? And I said, well, you know, I think one of the things that served me is my dyslexia is that actually, I think it prevented me from, from 
absorbing copious amounts of information that I was never really going to use. Um, so as all my, my fellow students, I'm not suggesting none of them are intuitive, but um, they may not use their intuition as much as I do on a daily basis with the work I do. But as they were absorbing copious amounts of information, I simply wasn't because I couldn't. And therefore, I think it left this, maybe some will say an empty vessel, uh, you know, my brain, but I, I think it left this space for me just to be as opposed to having to absorb lots of information. But going back to your question, I think the transition is, is finding the gift in the, in the pain. So if you have had dyslexia, if you've been, um, if you've had loss, if you've had failure, if you've had whatever, it's actually taking the time, getting rid of the charge of the judgment and the anger and actually creating the space to say, okay, what has it given you? I appreciate it's taken away. I appreciate it's devastated you. I appreciate it's made you a victim. I appreciate it's made you angry. I appreciate it's, it, it feels like it's debilitated you, but how, how has it strengthened you? And you turn the dial a little bit and you start changing the conversation. And then here's where the magic happens. Number one is you start to see it, not in an unauthentic forced way, but you start to see truly the magic. Number two is you start to accept your story because a lot of us don't want our stories. We want somebody else's story. Mm. We want someone else's story. Here's the problem. You can't have it. Hands off. You cannot take it. So why not accept the story you've had, the good, the bad, and the ugly, the pieces you don't want? If you can accept them, then what you're basically saying is I accept who you are. And then finally, the greatest, if we stopped as human beings constantly chasing opportunities, we'd be open to the most incredible possibilities. Stop chasing opportunities and be open to possibilities. And that requires you to create space, emotional, physical, and, and mental space in your life. But we're, we're obsessed with filling it. And the, oppor the, the opportunity that starts to shift into a possibility is this, is that you come back at some level and you share it and you use it to inspire and help others. And that's the final loop. And when you start using your pain and your gift to help other people, and you don't have to do it on a global scale, you don't have to stand on stage, you don't have to have your own podcast, but you could share it even within your family. You could even share it in a blog post. You might go on Facebook today and just say, you know what, guys, I'm not as happy as I always pretend I am. And what you'll find is someone will go, oh, my God, neither am I. Thanks be to God somebody else has the courage to come out and say it. I think we should have a, na you know, a national Be Honest on Facebook for one day, day uh, every year. And I'm not knocking Facebook. Facebook has a wonderful application. It, 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 a lot, I, it, you know, for those Facebook lovers, they probably think, oh, my God, he's an anti-Facebook guy. I'm not. I'm very active on Facebook. <laughs> But I'm, I'm using it to illustrate a point. Yeah. But the ultimate opportunity or possibility, I say, at the very end is to come back and to teach what you've been through, to share what you've been through and allow other people to grow from that. And when you do that, you have reconciled it. You have accepted it. You have brought it into your consciousness, into your subconscious. And now you're sharing it in full acceptance and in a, in a way that it's not about you. It's about other people. And then you've created the full loop. Wow. Okay. One last question before the final one. Uh, you've mentioned that you have been exposed to a wide variety of people from various income levels. Uh, and I've asked this to a number of people. How has, you know, being exposed to people who are billionaires and also people who come from, you know, less than backgrounds, uh, how, how has that shaped your perspective on wealth and money? I haven't got cut off. I'm just pa pausing because um, I don't want to just give you an answer that's not real. Um, 
I, 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 I honestly, I mean, I really think all it's done is solidified what I already believe around money. Um, it's actually just validated what I already believe around money. Um, I, I think that money is important. Um, I, I, I believe it doesn't buy you freedom. Um, I think financial freedom is completely misunderstood. I know so many people who've gotten to a point where they can financially never have to work again, but they don't feel free. Um, freedom and only real freedom comes from within. It comes from peace of mind or lack of peace of mind. And peace of mind is an indicator to see how free you are. I know so many people that all they ever want to do is make enough money so they don't have to work to give themselves the freedom and the opportunity to do what they want. And then when they get to that place, they worry, they worry about losing the money and then therefore not having the opportunities and the possibilities. So I, I for example, I, did, I, do, I speak about money, uh, not just how to make money. That's not what I speak about. I speak about the relationship to money. What a fascinating, oh my goodness, what a fascinating, we could do a whole podcast on that. We may have to bring you back to do that. Well, may, maybe, maybe you'll never want to see my face again after today, but what a fascinating conversation. Money is, is it, it, it's, I knew it was going to be deep and I knew it was going to be somewhat dysfunctional and a little bit all over the map. I didn't know what I was, what I was in for. So think about what is your relationship to money? I, at conferences in recent times, I've handed out a dollar bill, like a fake, like a, you know, a printed dollar bill or thousand dollar bill. And I say, just, just in one word, sum up how you feel about money. And I've had everything from hate, annoying, to peace, to freedom, to hate, loathing, necessary, trade, every word in between. And it's not the word, it's the feelings behind it. So even when we break that down to a very simple level, the person who thinks freedom, what they're really saying is they need money to be free. My, my, my experience is you do not need money to be free. You, 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 money's great to be able to do certain things in this life, but freedom does not come with money. Financial freedom, we can argue, does. But human freedom does not come with it. The other people that think they, they, you know, they, they hate it and everything else. So there's this huge charge. If nothing else, having the having access and exposure to extreme, um, extreme wealth on one side and less than extreme, because a lot of my clients are struggling in their business and so on and so forth, are struggling to, to become wealthy or are breaking through to that space. All it's done is validate what I really believe money is and, and, and how it shapes our life and how it often manipulates a lot of our lives um, in, a, in a way that doesn't serve us. Mm. So I have one final question, which is how we close our interviews um, here at The Unmistakable Creative. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? What do I, when you say unmistakable, can you just, just elaborate a little bit for me on that? Well, um, I've been asked to define unmistakable for the purposes of writing a book. Uh, the way I define it is something that is so distinctive uh, that we'd immediately recognize it as yours. You wouldn't even have to put your signature on it. You're the only one who could have done it. So it's something we do as opposed to who we are. Is that what you're suggesting? Maybe. It's open to interpretation. Yeah. Okay. No, I, I love that. Thank you. Um, what What makes us, yeah is, is, is actually ironically is, is, is it's who we are at the core. It's like our, who we are at the core is like a fingerprint. Hmm. The problem is that we never really fully see that often. I shouldn't say we should never see it. We, 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 from the early age of 10, even possibly even before in the playground one day, we're not even conscious. We want to fit in. We so desperately want to fit into this world and that we, uh, we pick up a mask and the mask is obviously a, a metaphor for a behavior it could be because we, we just, you know, we've used an F-bomb where actually we don't want to. We've picked up a cigarette, but we don't want to. We hit somebody, but we don't really want to. But we do it because we're trying to fit in. 
Mm-hmm. And then you fast forward and we, you know, we put on another mask and we go to college and we pretend to be something or try to be something we're not. And then we move into the corporate world and we move into running our own business. We wear another mask. And before you know it, we're 10 or 15, 20 years on and we've got 10 or 15 masks on our faces, which represent all these layers and uh, which are covering who we are at the core. Um, and a lot of my, some of my work, not all of the experiences I do are is about taking some of those masks off and allowing yourself to be seen by yourself for the first time and by other people for the first time. Because I'm telling you one thing, it is exhausting pretending to be somebody else. It is exhausting. And most of us don't even know that we're doing it on an ongoing basis. We have a sense of it. So what makes us remarkable is who we are at the core. And yet that's the very thing we often stay away from. We stay away from actually being who we are at the core because of we, we don't believe that's what the world wants. We believe that's what we don't want ourselves. And yet that is the very thing that makes us absolutely incredibly remarkable. Um, and in turn, then what ends up happening is when you get to know who you are, your gift starts to emerge because it can't. You can't hide your gift anymore when you get to know who you are. Get to know who you are. You absolutely know what your gift is. Get to know what your gift is. Embrace it and own it. You have to express it. You can't. It's like a musician. If you leave a guitar on one side of the room and, and, and you leave a, an espresso on the other side of the room, you sit them in the middle and you say you've got to pick one and they're obsessed with coffee. They'll go for the, they'll go for the instrument 99.9% of the time because they have to play music. The, 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 the musician that feels he's not a musician because he's, he's not paid to get to, to play. So therefore, technically, he's not a musician. In other words, he doesn't believe he is. He'll go for the espresso all day long. I just made that up. So maybe that sounds clear. <laughs> maybe it doesn't. I don't know. But your, your gift starts to come out. So what makes us remarkable is, is who we are at the core. And therefore, the, by just doing that, our gift starts to show up. So the gift that we bring to the world is unmistakably ours. And no one can argue with it. You look into somebody's eyes who's living their truth. You cannot call bullshit. You cannot call bullshit on them. You can try, but you just, you just know they've got something. There's something in their voice. There's something in their eyes. That's as true as anything you've ever seen and heard. But the sad thing is we don't often believe that that's available to us. Wow. Uh, Philip, this has been incredible. Truly. Truly incredible. Uh, my guess is you've probably got a lot of people at a loss for words, and I can see why you're a tough act to follow. Uh, I can't thank you enough for uh, taking the time to join us and uh, share everything that you have with our listeners. Uh, this this truly has been beautiful. You're very welcome. You're very welcome. And I, and, I, and I hear what you say, but and I really do. I really do. There's a time I dismiss it. Um, and, and I don't want to get, I mean, it's probably too late for this now because we've gone off the charts in terms of deep, but, um, I hear that, but at some level, I, you know, I don't believe it's about me. I think it's, it's a gift I've been given and it's on loan from somebody. I'm not a very religious person. I am a spiritual person, but I believe at some level it's on, on loan from me. So I accept what you're saying and I appreciate that. Um, and if anybody, anybody just makes one shift in their life, has one conversation that they wouldn't have ordinarily had changes one thing in their life as a result of, of this time. I, that to me is a, is a, is a huge win. And I'm just really grateful for the opportunity to share what I, you know, my voice was suppressed for so long by myself and by the world I lived in. And, 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 uh, for you to give me the platform to share what I really believe and what I see in this world is, is I can't put words in it. So thank you. And for everybody listening, we will wrap the show with that. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Unmistakable Creative Podcast. While you were listening, were there any moments you found fascinating, inspiring, instructive, maybe even heartwarming? 
Can you think of anyone, a friend or a family member who would appreciate this moment? If so, take a second and share today's episode with that one person, because good ideas and messages are meant to be shared. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just 9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com/pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bolinbranch.com. Code Buttery. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World, and this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch, the skills that are essential for standing out and thriving no matter how much technology evolves. We're talking about real differentiators here like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that. and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com/4keys. Use the number 4 K E Y S. That's unmistakablecreative.com/4keys and download your free copy.